Hi, Kirby. Hi, Sarah. Welcome, Welcome to, to Los Angeles. Welcome, Glamjolinos. We hope you stay a while. Cute. That's cute. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Well, 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 look who we have here. It's Susan Yara. Susan! <laughs> got Susan Yara on the show today and y'all will hear this is like a very chummy chat because we've known Susan forever. You've known her forever ever and I feel like I know her even better through you but Susan has just been I'm so sad she's not in LA anymore but she's living her life in Miami. She's always been such a great person to know especially in beauty. She's always looked out for us even though she's like not that much older than us you know what I mean like always looking out a mentor. You'll hear me say it on the pod, but she gave me so much advice about mom life. So truly appreciate her. Yeah, she just knows a lot. She was a beauty journalist and a journalist prior to getting into content creation, prior to making her brand Nutrium, who I think a lot of you are very familiar with. They sell at Target. They make great affordable products that are efficacious. And Susan has had a lot going on. She launched this brand beginning a pandemic, blown up. Nutrium is now in the UK and Ireland where they launched exclusively at Space NK. So I know we have some UK and Ireland Glamgelinos. Go pick it up there if you haven't yet. They launched their first sunscreen this year, the Glow Moisturizer SPF 50. She will talk a lot about this in our interview. This is one of my favorite launches of the year. I think it's a very great sunscreen formula. And she'll explain why she made it the way she did. This sunscreen sold out in five days and now has a 20,000 person wait list. It's probably why... I haven't tried it yet. <laughs> yes. And the brand has grown 60% since 2021. And they launched a new category this year, which is body care. And one interesting fact that I know about Notorium is that the Glow Getter Multi Oil Hydrating Body Wash, which this is my favorite body wash that they have, it has sold more than 45,000 units on their website. So that does not include uh, Target. Damn. Yeah. They're killing it. They're killing it. And a lot of you requested, Susan, we have been trying to figure out timing schedules, how to get her on this pod, and we made it work. And it's a long conversation, but it's a very free-flowing conversation. It just very naturally progressed into things that we wanted to cover. So I think everyone's going to love this. This is like an amazing, amazing guest episode to end of the year with. But we will have an episode next Tuesday, December 20th. And Los Angeles Awards. So the time is now. We have put out the voting. What is this called? Ballot. We put out the ballot. So go and vote. We have it on all of our socials. We have it on our website as well. So you can vote now. Go vote for your favorites. Share it with your friends. Get them to vote. But in the meantime, enjoy this lovely interview with Susan Yara. We don't need to do formalities here. We know Susan, so this is just like girl chat. We were just having a whole conversation about whether or not Sarah's going to have a C-section or like <laughs> give birth, quote unquote, naturally, which I'm learning now that there is a lot of shady mom stuff. Like women are shady towards each other, it seems like, when you become a mom. I know. There's a whole world of judgment and it's like the one job in the world where you should really just not be judgy at all. Because we're all just trying our best. <laughs> we're all just trying our best. You know what I think happens too? I even caught myself on TikTok yesterday. There was a woman who posted a video and she was like, I'm two weeks out. Like I just had a baby two weeks ago. And I just want to tell you guys, I'm loving this experience. It's not exhausting at all. Like I have time to do my work and send emails and all this stuff. And I commented like, well, I'd like to know how you feel about this in a year. Like when you look back, you know, and she comments back like, I hope I still think it's fun. And I wrote back, I totally appreciate your positivity. Cause then I realized like my comment came off as a little bit bitchy, right? Like I don't want her to feel like I'm judging her. Right. Like I get what she was doing. She was like, I'm trying to put positivity out there that like the newborn phase is actually really great. And everybody else talks about it being a nightmare. But then like, you know, at the same time, I remember 
that first couple of weeks, you are like, oh, wait, I'm not as tired as people told me and stuff. And then like two months, three months later, you're like, oh, <laughs> save me, right? Like, so she's kind of giving the wrong information. Like never comment. Somebody was like, who's going to tell her? You know, like that kind of thing. So I think a lot of the time what comes off as like judgy is actually us trying to be like, give advice, but then like advice isn't always warranted also. And like, it just, it's this cycle, right? So I was like trying to tell her, like, I love the positive positivity and the fun is definitely going to stay. I'm just, you know, like, take a break. Don't like force yourself to start working again, just because you feel like you can, cause you're superwoman. Because I think we do that to ourselves and then you look back on it and you regret it. You know, gotta like take that time and chill. I remember Susan, the piece of advice that you gave Matt and me, where you said like the first week is like really hard, but it gets better and you just have to like get through it. And I remember that so vividly. And I tell all my friends that too, cause it is, you're just like, what is happening? Like, I don't even know what day it is. Did I like, you know, shower and you're just like on this constant cycle, but I'll never forget it. And you, it does get better. It gets better. And it's the best. I'm truly so happy that this is our last episode of the year. Guest episode. Is this the last episode? So I'm closing it out with you guys. You're the last official guest of 2022. You're a fan favorite. I can't believe it took this freaking long. Susan's a busy woman. I mean, you guys are too. Come on. I am not the only busy person in this room. Okay. But you also like picked up your life and moved it across the country. Wait, Susan, let's just do it. Like, tell us. Okay. So you moved to Florida. What was the thought process behind this? There was none. You guys know this. I guess like maybe some of your followers probably don't know this, but we had been looking for a home in Los Angeles for so long. And it's such an exhausting heart-wrenching experience because you offer constantly. You're like, oh, this is the home. This is going to be the one for us. And then somebody else has more money than you or somebody else like offers something that you just can't offer. Like they lift all the contingencies or something crazy happens. And you're like, okay, well, not going to get that home. So this went on for years with us. And then we took a trip to Miami to just visit some friends because there was like that mass migration to like Austin or Miami. So we had a bunch of friends here, decided to take a trip to visit them. The world was starting to open up. And for fun, my husband's like a Miami Dolphins fan. It's really random. He's always been a fan since he was a kid. He was like, it'd be fun to live in Miami. And he's like, let's look at homes. But in our minds, like to get a home is really hard because we've been through this whole process in Los Angeles. And so we spent a day with a real estate agent out here just looking at homes. We didn't like any of them except for one, the one that I'm sitting in right now. And we decided to make an offer and we made a lowball offer. We actually didn't even offer what they had it listed at because we weren't serious about it. And then the real estate agent calls us like three days later and she's like, do you guys want the home? And we were like, oh my gosh. My husband looks at me, he's like, are we moving to Miami? And I was like, I guess so. It looks like we are. <laughs> Let's do it. Like that was it. And this was during like sort of pandemic COVID, right? It was right at the tail end of it. No, this is, you guys, we're in the same year. Isn't that crazy? It feels like years have gone by since the pandemic, right? Like it feels like years. But if you guys remember just a few months ago in March, right, we're in December. So in March, everything has started to open up. Like I actually was on a trip to Europe. So I was in Italy first and we landed in Italy. It was hardcore masking. One of the meetings that we had with a the retailer there, they were like, only three people are allowed in the room with us for this meeting and you all have to be masked. And we were like, okay, like obviously everybody at the time like was like, okay, that makes sense, right? Especially Italy had been hit really hard during the beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So then we hopped to Paris, right? So we go to Paris for some meeting and they're being a little bit looser there with the masking. Like you don't have to mask at the restaurants. You don't have to mask outside, just inside, right? So we're like, okay, normal, more like LA's uh, standards at that point. And then we land in London. So this is all within a week, okay? We land in London the day before they had lifted their mask mandate. And suddenly it felt like we stepped into a time warp because everything felt like the pandemic had never happened. It was like people walking around, people in the streets, people in stores, no one's wearing a mask. Like it was the craziest thing. This was just in March. Like this was March, 2022. Like this was months ago, right? So anyway, so this is when we bought the house also is, is March. So we had no idea how things were going to go. And I don't know, it just felt like we wanted a change. And this felt like almost like kismet, like it was just meant to be. And we did it. We decided to just move. Oh my gosh, that is so crazy. I remember it being recent, but like not 2022. I was like, oh, she's like been there a year at this point. 
No, totally. Same. We bought the house in March. We moved here July 1st. Oh my God. This is not even six months. Sarah sent me the post when you posted like, cause like Sarah clearly wakes up earlier than I do. So I like, remember I like <laughs> woke up to a text from her being, she's like, Susan's moving. I'm like, what? Like to, to where? Like Highland Park or something? Like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> and then I look up like Miami. Buena Vito, Miami. Love it. What's the vibe in Miami? beauty aesthetic wise. Yeah. What have you had to change about your routine since moving there? Oh my gosh. Okay. So we moved in the summer, which is horrible here. Like the weather is horrible. It's beautiful when you look out the windows, but you step outside and you start melting right in the summertime. The weather right now, December, amazing. Like it is such perfect weather right now, but in the summertime, holy shit. Like you really need to like gather yourself and be mentally prepared for it. And I thought I had mentally prepared myself, but I really didn't. It is so hot. You're melting. So everything that I always did for my dry skin out the door, I actually had to switch to like matte sunscreens for a second there because I could not wear anything on my skin without it melting off. So I finally understood what a lot of people, my viewers and stuff would tell me about like living in humidity or, you know, like having oily skin. I had never experienced this before, like on a regular basis, right? When you're on vacation, you're just like, whatever, you know, you're not trying to live your daily life, but in your daily life, it is so different. So my skin and my hair care routine completely changed. And basically it just kind of pared down. Like it just really went to way less products. Like you just can't wear as many layers in the humidity. How do you keep your makeup set? Like, have you found like a perfect concoction of keeping your makeup in place now? Or is it still kind of you're working it out? I think I'm still working it out here. You know, the funny thing is, is that even though we moved here, right, for all of my work engagements, I've been in either like London, New York, or Los Angeles, right? So I've like traveled every single month. I've had like at least two flights somewhere. And so each time I'm traveling, that's when I'm actually getting like really made up and stuff. What you're seeing right now, which is like my daily is sunscreen. This is like Naturium Dew Glow, which I think is like basically makeup for your face because we've got that reflecting uh, quality to it. I powder this down, put on my brows, put on some mascara. I put a little bit of color on my lips, even though I usually go with like a clear when I'm not like on a daily basis. But like, you know, I was like, oh, I've seen the girls and we put some color on, but like, this is it. What What is that? I love that lip. I've got one of those new NARS lipsticks on. I can't remember what they're called. They're like a stick. They just sent this out in PR. I don't remember what color I put on, but it was like a light pink. And then I put a uh, Phyto Glow lip gloss in Camellia on top of it. And that's what gives it the glossy. Gorge. So yeah, so I powder down. I powder down my sunscreen. Like I just powder in very specific areas. Your skin looks amazing. I still have yet to try that product. And I'm like... The Naturium sunscreen? Yeah. I'm like, who do I have to email? Susan! Email Susan. Wait, you don't have it? No, I need to request it. This is my formal request. I was actually shocked that you hadn't talked about this yet because I'm like, this is going to be your like go-to sunscreen. I was initially worried, Susan, I'm going to be honest, because I like the matte sunscreens. I have to do matte. Like I look like a crazy person with too much reflective stuff on my face. And when I saw Dew Glow, I'm like, fuck, okay, this is not made for me. But obviously I got it. I think the reason why I love it and I keep using it is because it feels like a moisturizer. It doesn't feel like a sunscreen. It's not fluid. It's not like some sunscreens that are more of like a lotion. It doesn't feel like that either. It truly feels like a very hydrating moisturizer that you're putting on your face. And I'll like glob that stuff on. Like I like will put like all the necessary pumps and put it all over my face and neck. It dries down though. It doesn't just sit there. When I put on makeup on top, it doesn't like move around. It gives you this reflectiveness, but it's very moisturizing. And it's the go-to sunscreen that I've been using like since I got it. I think it's really, really well made. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It was the product that took us the absolute longest of all of our products. There's going to be another SPF that's going to be officially our product that took us the absolute longest because that one's going to go on almost three years. But this one was two years in the making. And, you know, in the U.S., it's really hard to formulate a sunscreen that feels unique, right? Because all of us are dealing with the same thing. We only have so many different filters we can use. So in the beginning, like, you know, everybody kept being like, why isn't there a Naturium sunscreen? Like, people are basically like, this is a travesty. You know, like, you've got all these products, but no sunscreen. And it's because I truly didn't understand just how daunting the process of a unique sunscreen, right? So in the beginning, I kind of tried to be like, okay, let's see if we can take some of these filters from like, you know, Asia and in Europe and Australia, the ones that they're using that are more updated, see if we can use them here in our US sunscreen, but call them antioxidants or something, right? 
turns out you can't do that. Like I tried everything. You cannot do it. Like we tried to find every loophole that we could and you just can't. So then we're like, okay, so we're stuck with all of these filters that are only cleared by the FDA in the US, right? And so we're like, okay, do we do a mineral sunscreen? Do we do chemical filters, which are also known as organic filters, which is really confusing to people. But we ultimately decided on the chemical filters because they work for everybody. And you know, all the things that you hear people talking about, like not them being reef safe, being so bad for your health and the stuff they get into your blood system and all that. Like people are so obsessed with things that like, there's not a lot of information that shows that it does any of the things that they're so convinced it does. It's kind of crazy to me, like how focused people get on this like weird stuff that they hear when there's like such bigger things probably affecting their lives, right? That they could probably really change, but they focus in on sunscreen. It's a very polarizing topic. So, you know, once we like made that decision and committed to it, then we started to really think about, okay, so what would make this a sunscreen that people would want to wear every single day? So that was like the second thought process when we went into this. So we kept saying like, it's got to be simple. It's got to be a moisturizer. It has to combine these antioxidants that we're constantly telling people to use. Like one of the things that I noticed, what I finally love a sunscreen is I love the finish that it usually gives me, right? Like that's one of the things that makes me love a sunscreen. So we had two things in mind. One, I wanted a finish that was going to make your skin look like this, like flawless, give it that like reflective, you know, quality, look good under your makeup, help your makeup stay on really well. But at the same time, it's got to have some kind of a benefit, right? And so we found this ingredient. I always forget. It's like a long name. It's like sodium borosilicate. It's an ingredient that reflects light, basically, right? So you're getting two benefits from it. You're getting blue light protection because it's reflecting. And blue light, you know, like we've heard all these like brands say that like blue light from your computer screens and your phones, like that's not the blue light you need to worry about. You need to worry about solar radiation, right? Whenever I say radiation, I think it really clicks for people. They're like, oh my God. Yeah, the sun has radiation coming off of it. It's like, yes, it's like the most radiation you expose yourself to, right? So you get blue light from solar radiation. And that blue light contributes to the things that we don't want to happen to our skin that we're constantly using all these other products for. And that's like, you know, hyperpigmentation, the dark spots, the premature aging, blue light is contributing to that. And it's getting through PS, like, I'm utilizing the sunlight that's coming through my windows right now. It gets through your windows. So if you're using sunscreen the way I use sunscreen, that's mostly for vanity reasons, right? Like I want my skin to look good after I've done all these treatments and tried to like work on my melasma and stuff. I don't want it to go to shit, right? So this ingredient really helps because it's reflecting that light off of your skin. And in return, you get that glow. So it's just an amazing ingredient. It is. So you like the way it looks after you put it on like that's what like kind of draws you to a sunscreen Sarah like what do you like about a sunscreen like what are you drawn to I mean that for sure because I think similar to Susan and to you like day to day I don't like to wear like any sort of like foundation or you know coverage products so I really need the sunscreen to be evening my skin tone making my skin look better than it does (laughs) and also protecting it so like the formula is really really important and I do Obviously, I haven't tried it yet, but I like that it is the moisturizer SPF. So then, you know, two birds with one stone, which I will tell you is probably the number one question I get from people. They're like, what is a moisturizer sunscreen that you can recommend? Because so many people are just lazy in that way, too, you know? Yeah. And it's also hard to find like a combination that works together because they can pill. Yes, exactly. So that's really important to me. So, yeah, all of this that you're saying speaking my language. Well, we're going to change that. You're going to get this by next week. I promise you, I will make sure it is at your door. Kirby, do you also then like powder it down? I have naturally pretty oily skin. So I do, I have to powder everything down. But I will say like, for me, I actually enjoy putting this on my skin. I found out like this past year, I was like, why am I dreading like doing my skincare routine? And it's literally because I was hating putting on sunscreen. I didn't like the smell of it. I wear it religiously. I've worn sunscreen religiously, SPF 30 at least, since I was like 12 years old, like reading Allure magazine, okay? So like, this isn't something that like I just recently picked up. But I'm like, why am I hating my routine? It's because I hated the smell, the application, the way it felt on my face. I felt gross. I was just like, everything sucks. So for me, like the actual like sensorial experience of putting it on is very important to me. And I have to say, I do like that, pun intended, that 
It's called the Do Glow because I think a lot of times when people are searching for sunscreens, they're like, okay, I want it to make my skin reflective or like shiny or whatever. I want to look hydrated. And some people are like, I need it matte. I need it absolutely. So you're kind of like telling people straight up what this product is going to do. And I thought like I saw some of the content creators that Naturium worked with to like, you know, launch the product Glow by Ramon and I think he responded to like a comment from someone and it was like, oh my God, this made my skin look so like dewy or like greasy or something. And he's like, it's literally called Dew Glow, babes. Like, let's just take a minute, absorb what we're reading. Reading comprehension is important. You know what I mean? So I really, really like that. Yeah, we wanted to make sure people knew that this is going to give you that reflective look on your skin. So <laughs> we're like, what's a good name for this? And we're going to tell them it is it is glowy. It is definitely glowy. But we do have a, a soft matte finished sunscreen coming. It was supposed to be here already, but the times have just made life hard when it comes to launching anything, but sunscreen especially. But we have a soft matte finish sunscreen that I think is also very unique coming in the spring. Is that an exclusive? Is that a gloss exclusive? I, you know what? You did just get an exclusive because I don't think I've told everybody when it's launching. So yeah. Yeah, hoes, get ready. Heard it here first. We have like a whole list of questions for you that we need to get through. But this literally makes me want to talk about like sunscreen more because Susan and I are always in each other's DMs. Like, what do you think about this sunscreen? How, how do you think they made this sunscreen? Is this sunscreen even physically possible to make? I'm curious as someone who makes products now for a living, are there any red flags that wave in your brain when you see somebody promoting or a brand promoting a specific type of sunscreen? I mean, I think where we need to be careful is the mineral sunscreens, because trust me, as we're formulating sunscreens, you know, we're not going to be a brand that has just one or two sunscreens. Sunscreen is key, right, for skincare. So of course, Naturium is going to have more sunscreen. And we have been working on mineral sunscreens. And I'll tell you, in this process, I'm realizing that it is near able to have a very elegant mineral only sunscreen, right? Especially with the with the standards that I feel like you need to have. So SPF 50, right? We see a lot that come out that are SPF 30. And that's because that's like the furthest they could push it without it becoming this disgusting, pasty mess, right? And so, you know, just by nature of mineral filters, right? They're powders, like you have a really hard time making a really nice sunscreen that's mineral, right? And so there are other things that have to happen behind the scenes, right? Like you might have to get some of those like, you know, like good molecules, not dragging them. I feel like the sunscreen is like a very appropriately priced. It's like a good, affordable price sunscreen. It's an SPF 30. It's all mineral. But they keep saying like they're all mineral, right? And I see people posting about it and they love it and everything. But they're slightly lying, right? Because there is an ingredient in it. And, you know, like props to like Lab Muffin and all the science people out there for pointing these kinds of things out. There is an ingredient in there, a filter in there that is actually more like a, it's a chemical filter, basically, just with like a different name. And so they're saying this is an all mineral sunscreen, but in reality, it's like a hybrid sunscreen, right? But they're able to use this mineral filter as the active filter, right? In the active ingredients when it's a sunscreen. And so people think in their minds like, okay, fine, it's a mineral sunscreen, that's all, right? Like, that's it. And so I'm gonna assume it's truly meeting the SPF number that they have listed, SPF 30, and it's doing the things that it's supposed to. But there is a slight like, you know, and I'm sure it's a great sunscreen, right? But they are slightly off by saying it's all mineral, right? And then so if you see other sunscreens out there on the market, minerals specifically, that only have very small percentages of mineral in them, and then they're very elegant and stuff, they're either doing one of two things, right? They're either not actually meeting that SPF number, right? And who knows, like someday maybe they'll be like called out or something. And like, you know, we saw this happen a little while ago with like Purito and everything. Then there's the other thing. And that's what, you know, I just talked about is there might be other ingredients in these sunscreens that are helping the sunscreen reach that SPF number. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that it's a little bit misleading to say this is an all mineral sunscreen. This actually is interesting to me because I feel like I've learned so much about how sunscreen is made and formulated this year. Like I'm like shook at what actually goes into it. You know, Sarah and I don't make products for a living. So it's like anything we're learning, it's from people like you or people like that are formulating in the labs. And I think the most interesting thing that was impressed upon me is that some sunscreens can reach that sun protection factor by including ingredients that are redness reducing because they are measuring the sun protection factor based on the, well, I always mess up this word, Sarah. I always want to say urethra. It's urythma. <laughs> it's urythma, right? Yeah, erythema. Yeah. Erythema. Oh, you're making me say it wrong. 
erythema. There we go. Erythema. And it's like the minimal erythemic dose of whatever. They're judging off of redness. That's what it is. And that's why it kind of gets into the subject of like diversity and like sunscreen testing, because the Fitzpatrick scale, you know, you have to see redness on the skin, which is hard for, you know, Fitzpatrick four to six usually. Right. So I was really fascinated to learn that, like, maybe a sunscreen is getting, you know, an SPF 30 or 50 rating because of the inclusion of these specific ingredients. I mean, I don't know if that's concerning to me because it's not that it's protection. Right. It's that that ingredients in there to keep your skin from turning red. Yeah. So like you can have like a soothing ingredient like centella asiatica or something. If that's going to soothe your skin and calm that redness, then it might actually help boost that. I mean, this was why it was important to me to get the PA scale, that rating on our sunscreen, right? Because it's not required in the U.S. to get that. That's when you see like on the Asian sunscreens that PA plus plus, like it goes up to four. Four is the highest rating that you can get. You know, like that's judging for UVA exposure, right? So you know, you want to make sure that you're getting a little bit of, of bunk. But for us, like the PA scale, like our high rating, it comes from having a booster as well, right? Like, so you're getting that that protection from the actual sunscreen filters that we're using. But then I just told you there's that light reflecting ingredient as well. That helps to boost that protection that you're getting, right, from the UVA rays. So I think that that's okay to have in there as long as it truly is helping. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And very nuanced. Yeah. Very nuanced. Okay. I'm just like thinking about you and like all the hard work that you put in. And you're also such like, obviously, like an expert in the space. So many years, like everyone just, you know, admires you and trusts what you have to say. But like, it is probably so scary to put out a product, especially a product like sunscreen, which is under so much scrutiny. There's like, so many accounts and people who like just that's their thing. They make content based on just testing sunscreens or, you know, all these people just nitpicking and trying to find like a fault in what you do. So like, how do you like manage that? Is that what maybe also makes it take longer to like release a product? I actually really sometimes like that there are so many voices out there because it helps me. Like if you actually look at Naturium and our products, there's a lot that's been taken into account. And I think it's very unique, right? To be like a content creator in person online, because you guys know this, like you do get so much feedback, good and bad, right? Sometimes it's actually very valid though, right? Like sometimes people don't say it the right way, but like if you can get past that and like really absorb and reflect on the things that people are saying, you can actually create some really amazing products by using feedback from just whole basically like focus group of the world right like like just constantly telling you their thoughts right and so it is scary but at the same time like it's like planning your wedding you're never going to please everybody right like you just got to take into account the people that really matter and make sure that those are the people that you're really focused on right and that's the same thing I do with the products right I know who the people are that we are trying to make these products for. And I know they're going to appreciate the things that went into it, all the little details, the nuance, all of it. Launching a sunscreen takes forever because of testing. That's truly what it comes down to, right? Like you'll see some brands launch a sunscreen and a lot of the time, like they'll just do some like white labeling. That's totally fine. In my opinion, in some ways, like for certain brands, like the process of creating a very unique sunscreen is so expensive, especially for an indie brand. It took us forever also because we didn't have the money in the beginning. Now we have the money, right? So we have the money to like keep going and like pushing harder with our sunscreen formulation. But in the beginning, we didn't because there's so much testing that has to go on and people don't realize it's like even just like regular products, right? Like to be a dermatologist tested product, right? You actually have to do RIPT testing, right? So that costs you money to do, right? That's 50 people with sensitive skin or who like claim to have sensitive skin have to test this product, right? For like sensitive skin testing, when you can say like safe for sensitive skin, you have to test a hundred people, right? This is a whole other test, right? To get water resistant, you know, like on your packaging, you have to do a whole other test. And this is all aside from the just most important aspect of an SPF test and SPF testing. First off, you have to do like a test run almost. So you do one test, it's like a test run. And you just want to make sure that like the formula you have is actually even going to like get close to what you want it to be, right? Like if you're aiming for a number, most brands are like aiming for a number, minimum like SPF 30. For us, it was SPF 50. If it didn't get SPF 50, we were going to be happy with like SPF 45, something like that. I would have probably gone with that. I would have been like, fine, I'll take it, right? But we wanted higher. We wanted SPF 50, right? So we have this in our minds. So we do this test first, right? And this is like on a smaller group of people. So now we have, we've got the formula. We think this is it, right? Then you have to actually go through and like find the packaging because you cannot do the final testing unless you have the packaging with it. 
It has to be tested completely the way it's going to be. And that makes it really hard in this day and age because of supply chain issues, right? So the ingredients that we might've like first worked on in formulating this, that we approved and we're like, this is the formula. You know, we've had experiences in several formulas actually, not just sunscreen where suddenly this ingredient is no longer available or this ingredient has like now gone up, like quadrupled in price since we've like started working on this product, right? And so if we want it to stay within a certain price range or if we want to be able to ever find this ingredient again, you know, we might be like screwed. So we have to then switch. So then we have to reformulate, retest, right? This is a big issue. So you want to get that formula and the packaging for your sunscreen down, like down, right? Because you cannot make any more changes. Other products, you can make some last minute changes sometimes because, you know, it could be a little bit more flexible because you're not testing it like this, right? So sunscreen, you have to have it perfect, perfect. Everything about it is exactly what it's going to be when you launch that sunscreen. And then you go into testing, right? And that testing can cost anywhere between $8,000 to like $15,000 a pop. And if something goes wrong, you then have to test it again, right? Or if you're adding color or you're changing something up, like we had an experience with one of our sunscreens that we're working on where we were like not sure about the packaging, but to get it out in time and to do all this, like if we don't want to wait till 2024, we have to test it with more than one package, right? To just make sure it's going to pass with this packaging, right? Like you have to test this packaging for a while. Like you've got to let the product sit in it. You've got to let it like work with it. See if it's going to disrupt the packaging, what kind of experience a user is going to have. So this can take months also because you don't know like in a week if it's going to be the right packaging, right? Then you might want to test your sunscreen formula with like three different packages. So guess what? Separate tests for each of them, $8,000 to $15,000 per test, right? So think about like an indie brand trying to do this, right? So you might go, if you're an indie brand, go to a lab or a manufacturer and you might say, what do you have that's like a popular sunscreen formula that we can just tweak a little bit and then go from there. And so that you might see a lot. In fact, we see this a lot. I think a lot of like these medical great brands all use the same exact formula, basically, you know, like there's a lot of that happening. And in some ways I'm like, it's fine. I get it now. Now I totally get it. Totally. God, I mean, really, it's like getting struck by lightning, trying to find this perfect formulation of all things sunscreen, you know, like the packaging thing blows my mind. And then making sure you have access to all the ingredients going forward. I can't imagine like finding the perfect formula and then them being like, actually, we don't have this anymore. I'd be like, no more sunscreen. <laughs> that would destroy me. That would literally destroy me. I'd be like, we're done. We're done. Over the last two and a half years, this has happened at least four times on products. Or the other thing that's happened, and, and this is like an issue that I think just every brand has to deal with, is we might approve a formula. And you know, Naturium products, we keep the margins tight, right? And we really keep the pricing as low as we possibly can. And the way that's affecting brands like us is that we might approve a formula and then the main ingredient, like retinaldehyde, we approved our formula. And then like a week later, we found out the price of that, of that retinaldehyde we're using like doubled. So what we priced it as is not now like the same as what it's actually costing us. And that's like a big deal. And, you know, like brands like us, we have to work behind the scenes to really figure out costs, like where we're going to make this up then in the background. You know, so this is why you see like so many brands are like raising their pricing and doing all that kind of stuff. It is so hard to keep pricing down. Wow, that's crazy. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's just so illuminating to so many people. They have no idea how this stuff works. Okay, so y'all have heard us talk about this on the pod before. If you're new to the pod, here's the scoop. So Susan worked at Pop Sugar before I was at Pop Sugar. And it's funny, I think we met at an event and you had just quit. <laughs> And we were talking, she's like, what do you do? We were just, you know, getting to know each other. And I'm like, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed in 2012. I remember bright-eyed and bushy-tailed Kirby. Jaded Blackheart wants to seek revenge <laughs> on all of my, my former employers. Okay. I remember being like, I am working at Pop Sugar. And she's like, are you the new beauty reporter? And I'm like, yes. And she's like, let's go to lunch. Like, let's talk. Like, let's like have a moment. And I swear to God, thank you for doing that, Susan, because I did not know what I was walking into in that situation. And, you know, Susan, obviously, like, credible journalist. Like, if you don't know about Susan's background, like, go look into it. You worked for everybody at one point, right? Like, you were in New York. You were reporting, like, everywhere. She has bylines for days. And she ended up getting this job at Pop Sugar. How long were you there? 
I was only a pop sugar for a year. Like you officially like have so much more like tea on pop sugar than I ever did. Right. Like I got the hell out of there. You know, and actually it wasn't on purpose. I got recruited by new beauty magazine. So I was like working at pop sugar, felt like I was going to stay there for a bit, like had no intention of actually leaving. And then new beauty magazine came along and they were like, Oh, we want to uh, start a video network. This is like every company media company was like really going down that path. Right. And I was like, oh, I'm okay. I, I actually like my job. I just came here. Like, I'm not really trying to leave right now. Like, I still feel like there's more to do. And they're like, what do you want? Like, what's the, like, what do you need to leave? And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, I don't, like, you don't get that opportunity too often where like, especially coming from like, you know, these other media companies like Pop Sugar, where I felt like everything was so controlled and I wasn't making any money, like any money whatsoever. I'm sure you remember those days. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to have like another company come and be like, we'll give you anything you need for your team. And PS, what do you want to be paid? Tell us, we'll make it work. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I remember you texted me, we were talking about salaries or something like that. And I told you, like, I was pretty honest with you. I was like, I left because like, I'm making so much more at New Beauty Magazine now. I was like, okay, well, at least I'm not the only one that feels this way. Like literally like having to go to my boss and cry about like not making a living wage in Los Angeles, like wild times. With media companies, especially. And I think like some things have changed, but I know for sure, like freelancers, especially, I always have like a soft spot for freelancers because I understand what it is to be a freelance writer. The things you have to write about, like is really like rich people problems and rich people stuff, right? Like, honestly, like you're talking to like people who have built brands or people who are like running things and like, you know, just privilege on privilege on privilege, right? And you're sitting here in your like little apartment, broke as hell, eating like crackers and shit, like trying to like live right on your like, maybe if you're lucky, like whatever you're getting paid, you know, like if you're lucky, you're making, I don't even know what people get paid as freelancers these days. But I remember for me, it was like, if you got paid a dollar per word or something like that you were like fucking up there, right? Like most companies didn't pay you that. So I have a soft spot for freelance writers, especially. Yeah, especially like in our industry where we're getting invited on these like extravagant trips and dinners. And then on Instagram, you know, people think it's like, oh, my gosh, so lucky. And yes, obviously, like we're very lucky and privileged to be able to like do those things. But it's like, no, we couldn't afford this on our own. Exactly. And I started telling people, people would be like, well, why did you leave? Like you were doing so well in your career. And I was and they would be like, oh, all the free stuff you get. I would constantly stop them and correct them. I'd be like, I never asked for this free shit. I appreciate it. I really do. But I would love to be able to just afford my own shit. I would much rather make the money. <laughs> that is when you know you made it where you can buy your own shit and go on your own trips. Mm hmm. Exactly. So Susan was looking out for me in the early days. And then obviously she did new beauty and then she started mixed makeup and she had a great show called The Sass, which I think everybody fell in love with. And you also had The Cut with Susan Yara. Which, by the way, I had to change that name because I got a cease and desist from uh, New York Magazine at one point being like, we've got The Cut. I was actually wondering about that. I was like, the name changed. That's why the name changed to Beauty with Susan Yara, because I was like, I can't trademark another name. Like, geez Louise, trademarking is so crazy. Mixed makeup was doing well as a media company, but then it blew up when you started taking these videos from celebrities doing their skincare routines. And I don't like to say critique, but I think like offer advice, like, okay, this is why I wouldn't do this because this ingredient and this ingredient, whatever. So I'm curious, like, now that you have your own brand, because like that has been a whole other evolution. Like, how did you decide that making your own brand was worth the risk? Because like we said, you were successful as a content creator. Taking on a brand is expensive. <laughs> so like taking on a brand, I kept actually for years, I was like, when people would be like, you need to start a brand. I'd be like, no, no way. No way. This is terrible. No way. I never want to do this. Skincare reaction videos were kind of like that culmination of like, it all came together suddenly. Like we were just talking before we start recording about like it clicks for you, right? Like all this time being behind the scenes. I also worked in entertainment, you know, like journalism. So like at People Magazine, at Pop Sugar, you learn so much about what goes on behind the scenes with, um, you know, like celebrities, beauty, 
you you know all the at this point you guys do you know like you know all the people they're experts behind the scenes that are actually making them look the way they look and then you go and hear them talk about you know what they're doing and you're like oh my god that is not what this person does right like and then you see them just like sharing information that's the wrong information it confuses the consumer right because they think this must be what's like making this person look so good right and it's just it's like this continuous cycle right it was like this culmination of like just knowing all this stuff behind the scenes right from years of being in beauty journalism and in entertainment journalism and then you know just like after the skincare reaction videos i start to realize like this is what it is that people want they want it to be simplified for them they want all the issues to be fixed because everyone knows like you kind of know as you're like going through your like process of finding skincare and your skincare routine and what works for you you start to realize like there's some things that just don't do exactly what you thought it was going to do and it starts to be really confusing and you're like i just want this fixed i want somebody to just like fix this for me and do this and show me how to do it and so i can just be happy with my skin you know all kind of clicked for me and i start to realize you know i think i do want to have a brand. And that was probably the most naive thing I've ever done or like thought like, Oh, I think I can do this. To be honest, like I I felt like I could do it because I really felt like I had, you know, like mastered this one area of my career and starting my own business. So I was like, I can do this. I can start a, a brand and, you know, bootstrap this and stuff. And man, that was such a rude awakening for me because it was not that easy. And going into the pandemic was really, really just not easy for anybody starting to starting a brand, right? Any kind of brand. And so I had been working on a brand in like 2019. I was going to start with like cleansers and stuff. And I'd found like a Korean manufacturer. It was so hard, by the way, it doesn't matter what your following is. It's so hard to get a contract manufacturer to work with you if you don't have money, like lots of money to place big orders and to prove to them that you are going to sell a lot of damn products because otherwise they get messages from people all day long saying they want to start a new brand, right? Like just people who are whoever. And so that was like one of the hardest things was finding a a contract manufacturer to work with me. And then after that, you know, like you're spending all this money, like just to like trademark things, get some formulations down, get the branding down, order packaging, do all that kind of stuff. I'd already spent like tens of thousands of dollars of my own money. And then, you know, like in February of 2020, I got an email saying, from the contract manufacturer saying that there's this weird virus going around. Like, don't know if you've like seen the news, but it's causing us to really have to pivot a little bit. And we're not going to be able to launch your products, at least for a little while. It, the only thing that we can do for a new client is launch some hand sanitizer for you. And I was like, crush. I just kept thinking like, well, how would I launch a brand of hand sanitizer? <laughs> you know, like, that's so ridiculous. That's not what people are expecting from me. At the time, I didn't realize how serious the pandemic was going to be. Obviously, we didn't even think it was going to be a pandemic at that point. I just thought there was like a zombie apocalypse coming. I actually like closed my computer. I was a little like shell-shocked. This was the weirdest email I'd ever received. And then I told my husband, there's a zombie apocalypse coming. And I went to Target and like bought everything for our fa- pantry to like fill it up because I was like so freaked out by this. Because this was like, if you think about this, this is like a manufacturer that spent their own time and money too for months working with me to create formulas, right? And they were like at the point. And they're basically like, sorry. They're like, no, we can't do it. And it's like, what? I was like convinced I was going to be able to sell a lot of products. So I was like holding them with this. I was like, I'm going, I promise, like we're going to sell this out. Like these first products going to sell them out. And so they were like betting on me too, right? So like they spent a lot of their own time and money and to read this email and like just they're so definitively saying no suddenly, right? It was kind of crazy. So I like panicked. I like reached out to everybody I knew in this industry. And I luckily found my current investor, Ben. And I feel like he's like my fairy godmother. I tell him that all the time. He's like, I'll take it. You know, like I really didn't think I wanted an investor until that very moment when I realized like I cannot do this on my own. I do not have the experience in operations behind the scenes. There's so much more money that needs to go into this. And I think like the thing you have to take into account when you are taking on an investor that people don't realize is that your life now becomes numbers, right? Because an investor is not doing this out of like, they're not just like soft hearted people that want to like help you out, you know, like they plan to make money on the back end of this too, right? So it becomes a real business focused on numbers from the get go, right? So I went from being like bootstrapping it, it's going to be pushed out a little longer, whatever, like it's my problem, but that's it. It's not as stressful to, you know, suddenly being like, no, this is all about numbers now. You have to have like more of a game plan. You have to be very focused. Your team has to be focused. Everybody's focused. We cannot fuck this up. Like it's, it's kind of crazy when you take on an investor. So, you know, like you have to like weigh those issues, I guess. Totally. But I mean, obviously it all worked out for you. 
because Turium is killing it. It's at Target, for God's sake. I feel like Target is where a lot of brands need to start moving like and making their products available. I love shopping the Target beauty aisles now. You know, I always knew I wanted to go to Target if I started a brand because of the owner of Pixie. Did I ever tell you about this? No, but I love Pixie. Years ago, years ago, when I was still at New Beauty Magazine, so I was still a beauty editor. I remember um, Petra, is that her name? Uh-huh. I was at one of their events and we were just having a talk and I don't know why she like got this candid with me, but I was like, do you like being at Target? And she was like, oh, I, I love being at Target. She was like, at first when she was like, we try to be in, you know, the other retailers and it just wasn't sounding like the right offer for us. And she's like, and then when Target approached us, she's like, I was a little bit snobby about it and I wasn't sure this is where we wanted to be. And she's like, and that was the best decision I ever made. She was like, they have just been so much better. And I always remember that. In fact, when like brands would come to me and they'd be like, yeah, we're trying, we're like talking to Target. I'd be like, do it. You should go to Target. So in my mind, I always was like, Target's the place we're going to sell products. We didn't talk to any other retailer. It was only Target. That was the only place we were going to go. Because this is end of year, we want to do a little like trend forecasting. As someone who is actively developing products, and I know you are working on things that are going to be out in like 2024. In terms of 2023, what trends do you think we're going to see for ingredients or categories, products? Like, what should we be excited about? So I think we're going to continue seeing the bigger brands be really annoying like they were this year and just copy smaller brands, which I think is so annoying because really the trend should be coming from them, right? Like as a beauty editor, I remember like I would look to a lot of the brands to be able to forecast, right? And now I feel like we're seeing it more on the side with like the indie brands, right? So I think that we're going to continue seeing niacinamide grow. We're going to see way more retinaldehyde next year. I think that's going to be a, an ingredient that grows. Peptides are going to be massive. And I see a lot of brands kind of like try to do their own spin off of like ingredients and products that we already see right now. So that's like the boring side of things, right? The exciting thing is, I think there are a lot of indie brands that are doing cool things and starting to pay attention, right? So, you know, like a brand that I have been really like interested lately in is called Cypher Skin. They're in Australia. They're a small indie brand. I don't think they want to be a massive brand. The owner is a, a woman named Jenny who is also a formulator. So she's a chemist. And she really takes some interesting ingredients. Like she launched a product that really caught my attention this year. And I think it's like, honestly, product of the year. It's called 88 miles per hour. It's like 88 MPH. I think that's what they're trying to call it. And uh, it's a mask, right? So it's a mask for retinaldehyde. So it's like high percentage retinaldehyde, 2%, which sounds like it would burn your face off, right? But because it's a mask, you put it on, you only leave it on for a few minutes and you get the full benefit of the retinaldehyde, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. And I think there's like two things happening here. One, it's like that retinaldehyde trend, really cool ingredients. I can't remember how they stabilize the retinaldehyde in that one, but it's rinsing off. So for people who are always worried about using strong actives, this concept of short contact therapy, which I think is going to be another trend, is like another cool thing that's happening in the industry. And I think this is like something that like actually has always been around. If you think about like your face cleansers, like your acne washes, right? Like that is short contact therapy. You're putting it on your face. You might leave it on for a couple of minutes and then you rinse it off and you're not getting, you know, as extreme of a reaction from like benzoyl peroxide or salicylic acid, but you are getting the benefit. You know, like there needs to be more research on the benefits of this, but it turns out maybe some of these active ingredients, you don't actually have to leave on your skin overnight to see the benefits of them over time. So I think we're starting to see some really cool products come out. Jordan Samuel launched a mask. It's like a mandelic acid face mask. I think a lot of people underestimate how cool this product is because mentally we sometimes have to be like, this has to burn my skin for it to like really work. I have to see like glow and exfoliation immediately. But in reality, this product is really cool because it uses a very gentle exfoliator, mandelic acid, right? And this exfoliant also has similar benefits to like salicylic acid, but in a much more gentle way. And it also can help with hyperpigmentation and dark spots too, right? But it takes a little while, right? So then you put this mask on, it does not dry down to like this crusty old school, like irritate your face kind of mask that's hard to remove afterwards. And it just actually goes on like this hydrating gel. So it's like hydrating your skin. It's it's like gently exfoliating your skin and then you rinse it off. And so for people who have extremely sensitive skin, this is like a godsend, you know, like this is an amazing product, but I think people like need to get over this concept of like irritating their skin and working against it. So these are some trends that I see in the future. Of What was the name of the brand that you mentioned that has the 88 mile per hour mask? 
Cypher, C-I-P-H-E-R. So I think this is actually a brilliant name because I was like, why would you name it? So I, I was Googling it and 88 miles per hour is how fast the DeLorean had to travel and back to the future. It's like a whole thing. It's like when you Google 88 miles an hour, it's all back to the future stuff. So I think that's a really cute play on like, you know, the retinaldehyde Ooh. to the future, like turning back time, all that good stuff or like future skin. Yeah, it's a pricey product, but I love that there is so much detail put into this product. And now, even now with the name, that's really cool to know. And, uh, and you know, again, remember, this is an indie brand. So indie brands are always going to have to be a little bit more expensive because they're not, you know, placing orders of like hundreds of thousands of products to launch, right? Like they're, they're placing small batch orders, which makes them in some ways a lot more special too. So it's going to always be a little bit more expensive, but it's a cool concept. It really is. All of their products are so cute. The names. Oh, and their vitamin C is like sold out. I think mandelic acid is going to be a big ingredient trend for 2023. I had somebody message me a couple of weeks or actually months ago about, um, I think it was the brand Hyperskin. And they were like, hey, I see this you know, brand. It has this product on Sephora and they're really touting the mandelic acid in it. But then when I go to their website, it's like you can barely even find that mandelic acid is in it. And I was like, that's weird. I wonder why. And so this kind of leads me to this next question about retailers, in your opinion, because I've noticed that retailers have a lot more say in trends and what we're seeing product wise than a lot of people probably think. And like on Sephora's website, like they put mandelic acid in the title of this product, even though that is not the title or the name, rather title talking like a journalist, but it's it's not in the name of that product. So to help sell that particular brand because of the, the ingredient trend. So what do you want people to know about retailers in particular and like why we're seeing certain trends? Like, is there anything that you want to pull the curtain back on? I mean, honestly, consumers have so much more power than they think they do. Because really what retailers are doing are looking, same thing that we do as journalists, right? We're looking at SEO trends, right? So we want to know what is everybody searching, right? And if there's something that rises up to the top, like clean beauty, right? Then the retailers are going to take hold of that, right? So in reality, the retailers are actually just like hopping on to what consumers are saying, right? What they're hearing buzzing about, right? The problem is that retailers are such big companies and there are so many moving pieces and the bureaucracy gets kind of crazy that it can take a long time for that uh, trend to reach to the top, right? Reach the top and then like trickle down to become like a true thing within the retail experience. And then if they see that that tide is turning, right? Then it takes forever for them to get rid of that, right? So they almost have to lean in hard on something because they committed, right? And it's going to be so hard to backtrack now, right? And so what you see happen is these retailers do have a huge say then in what the brands are going to be doing when they are in the retail, right? So when a brand goes in, you have to really listen in a lot of ways to what the retailer is doing because they like really come up with this like master plan of like what is working for them, right? Like they can see by their own analysis of their, you know, like the analytics that are happening with what they're selling and what's happening online and what's happening in store and stuff. They can really tell you as a brand, like this is what's going to work. That doesn't mean they're always right. You know what I mean? But they do have to manipulate it to be able to work within their, their whole system. So when you're a brand coming in, especially if you're an indie brand, you have to listen because this retailer can make or break you, right? If you're going in. So you have to listen. So they do have a big say. And a lot of like, you know, I've heard through the grapevine that like, if they see something that's working. So what you'll end up seeing is that, you know, like a retailer, and usually it's the buyer, right? The merchant behind, you know, this, this uh, brand, they'll, or the retailer will tell the brands under them, this is what's working. This is what we expect to see from you. Right. And so you'll, you'll kind of get that. It's not manipulative. Like they're just like trying to guide basically the way it's going to work, but what they say kind of is what has to go. So that's how it, that's how it really works. I feel like I hear that more from like specifically like beauty retailers than, you know, like a target or I don't know, that's just, just what I hear, but that's why it can be so difficult, especially when, like you said, you're an indie brand and you just want to survive and be, you know, competitive and get like that, you know, shelf space. So it can just be so difficult. 
you know, like our experience with Target has been amazing. You know, I hear this more so with, with, you know, like Sephora, for instance, like I've heard through the grapevine that they've like told every single brand that you need to come up with a sunscreen by like the next year or something. Right. So like every brand, even brands that weren't planning to do sunscreen are suddenly going to launch a sunscreen. Right. So this is like a really hard thing for, for these little brands. We've had such an amazing experience with our target merchant, our buyer. She's amazing. I think she's really savvy. Like she stays on top of the trends. She even like, you know, she's like watching what I'm posting and stuff and like really staying on top of it. And I think, again, I go back to consumers can really have an opinion and make a change when it comes to what is a trend within retailers. Because, you know, if a, a savvy merchant and a savvy retail brand, if they really pay attention, they can hop on trends really quickly and like really see how it's going. And if you as a brand, even as an indie brand like Notorium, I feel like we've really made some changes, you know, within, you know, Target and like what they expect from us, because we're proving to them that we can actually make these products that people are going to buy, even if it seems like something that wouldn't necessarily do well within, you know, those stores. And I feel like that's why you have been so successful is because you have stayed true to the fact that you guys make really unique products that are obviously informed by, you know, what you think is going to be trending, obviously, but like, it's different from, like you said, like the 20 other brands that are coming out with the same like one ingredient focused product. So that's what I mean, Kirby and I just love everything that you guys put out and it works. It's affordable. It's pretty. And so, yeah, just like major, major kudos to you, Susan. Thank you. Thank you. One more question, which is a selfish question selfish question. I told Kirby that I wanted to ask you this because you're like one of my favorite moms to follow. You have two beautiful children. I always get asked like what, you know, skincare to use on Zoe. First of all, would Naturium ever make a baby line? And two, what other, you know, brands and products do you like to use on your kids? I don't say never, but it's nowhere in the near future a baby line just because there's so much, I feel like there's so much more to do with Naturium just like in what, you know, like what we're doing in facial skincare and body care, potentially in hair, eventually, you know, like that kind of stuff. When it comes to baby care, I think the thing to remember is that, you know, when we talk about like sensitive skin, the people with the most sensitive skin are the babies, right? Like this is where I get a little bit more hardcore about using fragrance-free right? Because you just don't know with their skin, what they're going to react to. And, you know, I, I feel like a lot of baby products that are targeted towards kids and babies have a lot of essential oils in them, right? And whenever I've like ever seen my kids have any kind of a reaction to a product, it's always inevitably like essential oils, right? That have irritated their skin. So I look for fragrance free. That's like the first thing I look for. I don't even look for specific ingredients. I in fact look for fragrance free. That is like the number one thing I look for. That tells me it's going to be really gentle, right? So I'm not looking for clean. I'm not looking for natural. I'm looking for fragrance free because that to me tells me it's probably for sensitive skin. I think ingredients like petrolatum and stuff are really underrated for a lot of moms who are like trying to find clean ingredients for their babies. Like Aquaphor is like one of the most used products in our home right? And it's been going for how, how long my son's almost six now, like six years and going, you know, it's like petrolatum aquaphor is like king in this house, you know, like it, it is used for so many reasons, right? For lip balm for them. It's used as, you know, like if you have something like a rash on them, if you have a cut, like aquaphor is king in our house. I use our Naturium Biolipid body lotion on them because it's fragrance-free. All of the ingredients are really gentle. I use Glow Getter body wash on them. Again, really gentle. Um, I don't use it on their faces necessarily. I do use one product that is specifically for babies, and that's the pipette body wash, basically, like hair and body wash. And that's just because it doesn't irritate their eyes. That's the only thing that I take into account with that one is, you know, I just don't want them screaming and yelling at me in the bathtub when I'm washing their hair, you know? So that's the only one we've like, we've tried a lot of shampoos, and that was like the only one that doesn't irritate their eyes. It's so good. Amazing we could go on for longer, but you know, we got to let Susan go. Literally, we could, we could, but we have to <laughs> let the woman go. We can't hold her hostage. Susan, thank you so much for spending this past hour and some change with us. We adore you, obviously, and we're so proud of all the successes that you've had. And thank you for sharing some some tea and some news about Naturium here. For anybody that hasn't tried Naturium, what is the one product they should pick up? to fall in love with the brand? You know what? I think it's our body washes. Honestly, I think get the glow getter. It's like the body wash that people just fall in love with. 
Wait, I love the vitamin C. That was like my intro into the world. The vitamin C serum, if you're looking for a vitamin C serum, it is, I mean, it's so popular. It's like the best-selling product over at Target. And our niacinamide serum is the number one product that we have for Notorium. The niacinamide, it's in like a like a tealish blue bottle. It's the niacinamide serum, 12% plus zinc, 2%. I have fallen in love with this product quite quickly, but I have to agree with Susan. The body washes are killer. They're huge. They are literally huge. Thank God. They are incredible, incredible body products that are formulated so, so nicely. Ooh, that's a, those are some good gifts. Yeah. Everyone could use some body wash. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. And we have some bundles on Naturium.com if you want to get a little discount on them. Okay. So where can everybody find you, your content, Naturium, everything? Um, on across social media, I'm at Susan Yara, except on YouTube. I still have my old school like name and that's mixed makeup that I used there. And then uh, Naturium Skin on Instagram and Naturium everywhere, everywhere else. All right, that's it. Thank you everyone for listening. We will be back on Tuesday with the week's most buzzy beauty news. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify so you don't miss any breaking beauty news or product reviews. And if you want to support us, be sure to follow us at Gloss Angeles Pod on all platforms and join our Facebook group. Plus, find every product we recommend on our website, glossangelespod.com, as well as links to the stories and news we report each week. You can follow us, your hosts. I'm Sarah Tan, that's S-A-R-A-T-A-N, on all social platforms. And I'm Kirby Johnson, K-I-R-B-I-E, on all social platforms. Los Angeles was created by us, Kirby Johnson and Sarah Tan. It's part of the ACAST network and licensed by Vice Media Group. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.